This message is brought to you by House on the Rock Fellowship. We are a church that serves and cares for the Miami Valley region in Ohio. Before you continue, make sure to access the notes from our download section of our message page and have your Bible ready. Thank you for being our guest. I am a morning person. Doug is not a morning person, a very good friend of mine. I am very much a morning person. I've always been a morning person. I started delivering newspapers when I was 10 years old. So my rhythm has always kind of been, hey, it's 5 a.m., so let's get going. Uh, now with a house full of teens, you got to back that up a little bit. So I'm a 4 a.m. guy. I wake up at 4 a.m. It gives me a good hour and a half of time just with Jesus, and we talk, and we read, we pray. I journal, and then around 5.30 in our house, things start to happen. Uh, my wife's alarm, there's a whole cacophony of alarms that are all going off around 5.30. My wife, she gets up, she goes off to begin her process. Jackson is elected by the three teenagers to begin the process of, so he hits the shower first. And then when Jackson is done, normally he'll come out to the living room and he'll join me. So I'll be in my seat and it kind of looks into our backyard. There's a, a fireplace there and a candle and I'm just in my... And Jackson will grab whatever book he's currently working through, uh, reading on. Uh, he'll pick up maybe something I've suggested. And right now he's kind of working through Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Okay, great book. Awesome book. I love it. So I know it's so good. It's so good. It's nothing like anything in pop culture. It's nothing like in the movies. I mean, if you, if you go to Mary Shelley's Frankenstein thinking it's going to be like Adam Sandler's Hotel Transylvania, you are sorely, sorely going to be surprised because it's not. It's not. And so Jackson in a little bit kind of opened up chapter one, chapter two, the prologue. He's like, I don't really know what's going on here. This is not what I was expecting. Well, you see, because I've already been through those chapters and I've read that book, I'm kind of able to say to him, hey, well, this is how you need to understand this and you kind of need to understand that. And he's like, well, who's this character? I'm like, well, this character is this and you're going to expect, you can expect for this to happen. I've already been through the story. I already know where he's going to get, maybe get tripped up a little bit. I can help come alongside of him so that he can enjoy and delight in. What is a, a great classic piece of literature? We look at 23 into 24 and the, the page turns and we've gone from one chapter to another. And how do we feel about 2024? Are we pretty excited about that? Are we just maybe glad that 2023 is over? Yeah, yeah. Jesus, as the page turned in his life, came up to his disciples and he said, I have some concerns. He knew some things that they didn't know. He knew that they were moving into a new chapter, a new part of the story, and it was going to be drastically different than anything that they'd have experienced before then. His physical presence, he was going to ascend. He's going to go to seat at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And they were going to need to maneuver things differently. And he came to them and he says, I have some concerns. They're moving into a dark time. They're going to move into a time of hostility. 
And I think the things that Jesus unpacks in John's gospel, we're going to be spending some time in John chapter 15 over the course of the next month. They're seated in Jesus' capacity to look ahead for us and say, hey, I'm looking ahead at 2024. And Jesus says, I need you to know I have some concerns for you. It's, it's, it's dark out. And I want you to be able to maneuver it well. In fact, let me set up John 15 for you. And to do that, I actually need to read you something from John chapter 16. Okay? Because that's kind of how John writes. Kind of does things backwards every now and then. Can I read you something? This is from John 16. I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. 1 through 4. This is in the middle of what we call Jesus' farewell address, his last long teaching and message to his disciples before the crucifixion. John 16, let me just read verses 1 through 4. He said, I've said all of these things to you, so something he said before, to keep you from falling away. Hmm. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. They will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you remember that I told them to you. Right, so let me just, let's, let's open that up just a little bit. There's something that Jesus shared. And the reason he shared it is because he said, I have some concerns. I've said these things. That in the time, he calls it an hour, in the hour to come. You can imagine, we understand, it's a dark hour. It's a dark time of the night. It's really easy for my followers to fall away, to stumble. The word fall away means to stumble in the dark, to fall down. Did you know that that's possible? Did you know that a follower of Jesus Christ can fall away? That they can stumble in the faith? When we bought our house over eight years ago in Troy, uh, the, the boys' bedrooms are on one side of the house. Our bedroom is on the complete opposite side. And so you have to maneuver through the living space, through dining kitchen to get to our door. And kids at that point, they were eight years younger, have this capacity of waking up because we need to throw up. But instead of maybe just making that sharp right turn into the toilet right where it is right there, they will maneuver the entire house so that they can, can then stand right next to you and scare the snot out of you in the middle of the night to say, I need to throw up and then prove it. <laughs> in that moment. <laughs> and for those of us who've been there, you don't even wait for them to start talking. You just immediately grab them and start chucking them towards the toilet. <laughs> but it can be, it's in the middle of the night, it's dark, isn't it? It's dark. And so for them to get from one side of the house to the other, they have to maneuver so many things to get safely to dad. And so that the kids can get to dad safely, I put nightlights 
in various, trans, in various places so that, oh, they go out the door. Oh, I can see. Here's the hallway. Oh, there's the other side of the living room. Oh, that's where the bar stools are, where dad bangs his feet. Oh, there's dad's door. Jesus does the exact same thing. Jesus, he looks across time and he says, it's a dark time. It's a time when people will fall and stumble. There's going to be hostility. We're going to unpack that hostility in a couple weeks. So he unpacks for them in chapter 15 four key relationships that every follower of Christ needs to hold on to and be mindful of. What we're going to talk about today is the beginning of John chapter 15. Really verse 5 specifically. I'm going to read 1 through 11 for you. He says, first you need to understand that you need to have an abiding relationship with me. We're going to talk about what it means to have an abiding relationship with Jesus. Then next week, we're going to talk about the next relationship. He says, you also need to have a loving relationship with my followers. Did you know you can't do this alone? Did you know that? Yeah. We need to have a vibrant, loving relationship with Jesus' followers if we're going to make it through the dark. Thirdly, he says, you need to be mindful of the hostile relationship that you have with my enemies. Jesus will use words like hate and kill. A follower of Jesus needs to be mindful of that. And then fourthly, he'll teach us about the witnessing relationship that we have with the Holy Spirit. So we're going to unpack one of those relationships a week. But this week, let's, let's open up that first key relationship, the beginning of John chapter 15. What does it mean to have an abiding relationship with Jesus? I want to read to you uh, the beginning of this chapter, John 15. I'm going to read verses 1 through 11. If you have a Bible open, that's awesome. If you've opened it to John 15, that's even better. Go you. I'm going to read, I'm reading, this is a copy of John's gospel. This is a journaling uh, copy. This, I like to write notes in it and Uh, We've been spending some time in John uh, for a while. John 15, let me read verses 1 through 11. John 15, 1 through 11. His words to us. I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. It'll be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. Prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments 
and abide in his love. Then he finishes, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Let's kind of find verse five. We're going to drill down on verse five this morning. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You heard within that section, word abide comes up a lot. The word fruit comes up a lot. The word abide means probably exactly what you think it means. To dwell, to lodge, to have a living connection with. I abide at 1411 Maple Crest in Troy. That's my abode. I abide there. I live there. I lodge there. But Jesus is going to use another picture to help us understand some things. He's talking about the abiding that exists in a grapevine. He says, think of a grapevine. There's the vine and there's the branches. The vine is the one that's connected to the soil where the roots are. That draw upon the nutrients of the soil. The branches are those offshoots, often, often trellised up where you'll see the fruit. And he says, you are to abide in me. Jesus is describing the nature of things. And that's so very important. The nature of something, its essence, its reality. We are caught up in a time, in a culture, in a place where we seem to think that the essence of things, the nature of things are up for personal debate and opinion. Well, if I want to be this, I can be this. I want you to call me this. I want you to refer to me as that. I will shape my nature based on my opinion. And Jesus says, you can't do that. You can't do that. He says, I define the reality of things. He says, I am a vine and you are the branches. This is, uh, happens all throughout Scripture. Uh, as a church family, we began reading the Bible at the beginning of the year. Maybe you started a Bible reading program. Big fan, big fan. Uh, we as a church family are reading through the Bible again this year. We're doing it chronologically, which is a little bit different. If you didn't know it, your Bible is not laid out chronologically. Um, it's laid out by genre. And so we're reading through it chronologically. But we did start with Genesis 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. That's the beginning. It says right there, in the beginning. It's a great place to start. But right from the beginning, God makes some big statements about reality, about our reality. He makes some huge statements about our nature, the reality of our essence. He says, your heart is twisted and wicked all the time. That's not up for debate. It doesn't matter what country song I play or how happy I dress. God says the reality of your essence and your nature is that your heart is twisted and evil and wants evil all the time. That's a statement of our nature. Jesus is making a statement about our essence, our reality. He says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. And you don't want to get that wrong. You don't want to get reality wrong, get your nature wrong. 
I love to read. I'm a big fan of reading. Um, this, this last week, uh, I did a little traveling via books, which is how I travel. I'm an introvert, so I travel through books. Um, and I traveled back to the 1600s. I traveled back to Salem, Massachusetts. Any of y'all been to Salem, Massachusetts? Any of you know what Salem, Massachusetts is kind of big on? Dude, that guy knows right there. What's Salem, Massachusetts? Oh, okay, 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 it's all right, it's all right. Witches, right? Salem, that's what they do, witches, right? And so I'm reading this book that's kind of talking about this time in our history. And actually, the witch trials that unfolded in the latter part of the 1600s stemmed all the way back to Scotland, about 60, 70 years before that. England had made a big turn. They'd saw a lot of the problems that were rising up in other parts of Europe. Um, And so there's this religious vigor and fervency that works its way through England. And the message, a Puritan message, it's very devout. It's very harsh. And they're very concerned that the devil is in their midst. And so they begin to find witches in their midst. Thousands of people will be destroyed. Thousands of families destroyed, hung, burned, hunting for witches. Well, that worldview works its way into the Americas long before it's the Americas, okay? Long before it's the United States. England's got a little colony going down in Virginia, and they start to do a little colonizing in what we call Massachusetts, the Bay Area. Um, Towns like Boston rises up. Towns like Salem rise up. And in all of this is that same concern that the devil is in their midst and there's witches about. Well, the problem is, how do you know someone's a witch? Right? And so they kind of developed a little bit of folklorish way of discerning who and were witches. Oh, you've got a rash in the shape of a bunny on your cheek. That's the kiss of the devil. You're a witch. You're like, this a birthmark. I've had this my entire life. No, that's a witch's mark. And so what would happen? You'd be brought to trial and you are guilty until proven innocent. That's the way the court system works at that time. So now you have to prove that you're not a witch. Well, there was a, a pastor at the time who was pastoring in the, the North Church in Boston. His name was Mather. Very, very popular, very, very powerful man in, in the colonies. And he started to look at some of these people's folklorish understanding of witches. He says, this has nothing to do with scripture. And he began to write some essays to communicate and help guide people through this spiritual dilemma. And I wanted to read what he wrote because you don't want to get nature wrong. He said this, this is uh, in 1684. He had this to say about how people are finding witches in rather superstitious, unscientific ways. He wrote, some people believe water refuseth to receive witches into its bosom, meaning witches float, right? Because of how they're made, they can't sink. So if you put someone in the water and they float, that means that they're a witch. That's like, you can't win. Like, Like, you can't win. He goes on. He says, if they sink, then they're innocent. As a man of science, he goes on. He says, having no foundation in nature nor in scripture, the bodies of witches have not lost their natural properties. So if, you know, Mo's a witch, she's not a witch. (laughs) Terry's like, "Mm -hmm." (laughs) Like, well, we think she's a witch, so we're going to throw her in the water. If she floats, you know what that means, right? 
she's a witch. But if she sinks and drowns, then she's not a witch. Who's, you, you, there's, poor Mo. If I float, I'm going to get hung. If I drowned, she's dead. He says their nature hasn't changed. You can't get nature wrong. Jesus says very clearly, you need to understand your nature. I'm the vine, you're the branches. That means a couple things. One, it means by nature, we are dependent upon Jesus. Okay? Yeah, maybe if you're a note taker, that's something to write down. I am dependent. Abiding means dependent on Jesus. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Surely there's something we can do. This is America. We have a whole day called Independence Day. Surely there's some things that we can do. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So begin to think about my day. I walk through my day. Like I said, so I'm an early morning guy. Um, Doug's not. Doug and I are different. There's like a two-hour window when he and I can communicate with each other because one of us is awake and the other one's sleeping. And if we have elder stuff to do, there's only a narrow window where we can check in. He's like writing me notes at midnight. Dude, I am not doing elder work at midnight. It's not happening. It's just, I'm out. I am out. I, get, I got up this morning, and this is just this morning. I, I go to my time of prayer, okay? And I've got... I don't have my prayer rope with me. I'm just, I've been praying for a while. I've been following Jesus almost 40 years. So you'd think you could do the praying thing, right? I could not pray to save my life this morning. I get distracted by everything. I started working through the things that didn't get happened yesterday. Yesterday I made chili. It was so good. It's so flaming hot. It was so spicy. We're like, <laughs> I'm like, I started, I'm here talking, Lord Jesus, you know, Lord Jesus, have mercy on my soul. That chili was so hot. Ah, our Father in heaven, help it. Why happened to that chili? I, mean, I just, I could not stay on track. Then I got distracted by the mantle and the fireplace. Then I started thinking about the sock box because we, our socks, they just kind of get caught in this big old box and then you just kind of go over and you grab your socks when you need to. And I'm like, why does Aiden keep wearing my socks for crying out loud. Yeah, pray. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Thy will be done. Seriously, if he grabs my socks one more time, I couldn't pray to save my life. I'm so dependent on Jesus just to pray. Well, well that's prayer. What about the other stuff? Surely I can have a good marriage without Jesus, right? Right? Surely I can be a good father without Jesus, right? Surely I can have a vibrant ministry without Jesus, right? Jesus says, oh, child, you can't do anything without me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Abiding, the branch to the vine, it's so dependent. It's so dependent if you're going over to the nursery, our church's nursery, we got some wonderful volunteers over there. It just got overhauled, redecorated. It's beautiful. It's awesome. It's great. Erin, doesn't it look nice? It does. She's like, yeah, it's baby on the way. Congratulations. Go, you girl. 
Um, Doug, you know, we know you're part of it, whatever. Um, <laughs> those infants are completely dependent upon those caregivers and workers in the nursery to be picked up, to be put down, to be fed, to be swaddled, to be cared over, to be protected. We forget and, and must be reminded in our nature, we are completely dependent upon Jesus in all things, for all things. And maybe some of the crisis that we experienced in 2023 is because we tried to forget that. I'm fine. I can do this myself. That's not going to work well for an infant. And Jesus says it's certainly not going to work well for you. Abiding, abiding means being dependent. But he also says abiding is dialogue. Abiding is dialogue. He says, whoever abides in me, this is verse 5, and I in him. Oh, do you hear the exchange there back and forth? Whoever abides in me and I in him. This conversation that happens back and forth, one to another. Jesus to me, me to Jesus. It's a dialogue, an exchange back and forth. It's not easy to have a conversation. It's really easy to talk. Some of us are good at talking some of us are good at not talking. It's really hard to have a conversation. One of the life skills we're growing in our house. My wife is trying to help all four of us. I have three sons and myself. She's like, we're going to have a conversation now. I'm like, oh. hmm. I can't delegate that one off to one of my kids. I'm, I'm, I have to, we're talking. Like, yeah, yes, we're talking. You know what it takes to have a conversation? You have to listen. Listening is a part of a conversation. So if Terry and I were having a conversation, a lot of words are going to be spoken in this one, okay? <laughs> Terry and I are talking. Terry, well, he's speaking. I have to listen. I have to actively listen to what Terry is telling me. Maybe he's telling me about something he saw on the news or a new handgun that he picked up or who knows, something that the dog did. Certainly not going to talk about what Mo did, right? So, so I'm going to listen. I'm listening to what he is telling me. And I'm not just listening, I'm reflecting on, do I understand what he's saying if I understand how it's impacting me and shaping me, and then I'm gonna, I'll, I'll respond back based on what I've heard. So Terry, what you're telling me is, do I get this right? And I'm gonna respond back to him. Now, then I'm, I, I'll share something. Well, this is where I'm at and what I'm going through and what I'm doing. And then he'll do the same. That, this is conversation. We're having a conversation Jesus is abiding with me as conversation. It's dialogue. It's an exchange back and forth. Vine to the branch, branch to the vine. Whoever abides in me and I in him. Are you good at having a conversation? Are you good at dialogue with Jesus? 
as you look back at 2023, how much dialogue was there? How much dialogue might there be? Could there be? And what would be the result? What might happen if you leaned in on this coming year on what it meant to be dependent upon Jesus and have an ongoing experiencing dialogue with Jesus? What do you think might start to happen in your life? You want to know the thing is that he says in here? He says, fruit. Your life will bear fruit. In verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. We're going to talk about prunes. It might bear more fruit. Verse 4, as the branch cannot bear fruit alone. Verse 5, he it is that bears much fruit. That you, The Father is glorified that you might bear fruit and prove to be a disciple. It's kind of like this whole thing, following Jesus, is about being fruitful. Like bearing, what does that mean? All right, what does it mean to bear fruit? You can see fruitfulness in your conversation, in your prayer life with Jesus. He says that in verse 7. He says, if you abide in me, my words, ask whatever you wish, it will be done for you. That's the prayer life. That's the prayer life, isn't it? How does that happen? Well, we have so much conversation, so much dialogue, interaction with each other. Jesus like, you know me, I know you. You know my heart. Ask what you need to ask. Father will do it. That kind of answering and blessing and giving is rooted in a deep dialogue and relationship. I have three amazing sons. I love them so much. I'm so proud to see how they are growing in the Lord and the path that God. But imagine if they were jerks. Okay? They're not jerks. They're not. Some of you are like, whatever. No, they're not. Imagine Lucas is a jerk. He's not a jerk. He says, hey, Dad, I need the car. I'm like, excuse me? Can we talk about your bedroom? Can we talk about your history grade? Can we talk about the way you talk to your mother? You want to borrow the car? You want to do this? You want to do that? You want these things? Dude, the way you've been treating the family, the way you've been treating my wife, you want something from me? You think that's going to happen? Do you think if I'm a good loving dad, I'm just going to placate to that? No, we're going to sit down. We're going to talk. There will be conversing. I don't have those types of sons. Hey, Dad, can I do this? Absolutely. Uh, I love you so much. You're doing so well. I'm so proud of you. I know, Lucas, that if you're going to your friend's house, that's exactly where you're going to be because your mom tracks you on her phone. Um, <laughs> I don't have to worry. I know when you'll be home because she tracks you on her phone. No. I know that you're not going to stay out late. I know what's at your heart because you know what's at my heart. So Jesus says, ask, ask. You'll see that fruit in your prayer life. You'll see that play out in your prayer, the conversation that you have with the Father. Well, there'll be much fruit. Another place where we could see fruit in someone who has this depending, abiding relationship, this dialogue relationship with Jesus, it's going to plan in their contribution within the community. They are people that serve and people that give. I'm so excited for you to hear a story that Sonia's going to share at our offering time about what some of your contributions have done financially in the ministry that we were able to have down in Appalachia. That's pretty awesome. 
But yeah, we're not consumers, we're contributors. We bear fruit, we give of our time, of our treasure, of our talents. You'll, you'll, you'll see the fruit. You'll also see it in this way. The person, their character conforms to Christ's character as the life of Jesus flows into that person and flows out from that person, which means they're more loving in 24 than they were in 23 as the Jesus life bears fruit. They're more peaceful in 24 than they were in 23 as the Jesus life bears fruit. They're more gentle in 24 than they were in 23 as the Jesus life bears fruit. Here's our word. They're more kind in 24 than they were in 23 as the Jesus life bears fruit. I bump into a follower of Jesus and they're growing in kindness. You know why kindness is so important? Kindness creates the context for care in ministry. And so we're praying as a church family that we grow in kindness. We bear us fruit, but you know what needs to happen for there to be fruit? It needs to be pruned. A branch needs to be pruned. Every branch that does not bear fruit, he, that does bear fruit, he prunes that it might bear more fruit. Pruning, painfulness. If you have a vineyard and you want it to bear much fruit, then you must prune it. And the Father prunes us. How many might say in 2023, I was pruned? You got pruned by God. He did some pruning. Pruning happens one of three ways. One is pinching, okay? Those of you who work with plants, you understand pinching, right? Ethan's already shaking his head. You got to go on and you have to pinch some of those other buds and just pinch smaller things, pinching off little, so you can siphon and focus the energy of the plant where it needs to be. So little things, some of you are really good at pinching others, um, poking others. Did you know that sometimes God will pinch? Do you know sometimes that God will poke? A little thing like, hey, how about that? Like, ah, Let's not talk about that. Sometimes when there's pruning, you have to do what's called topping or crowning. The vine has grown too tall. The branches have shot up too much. It started to think a little much of itself. And so the vine dresser has to bring some branches down. It started to think too highly of itself. And so the vine dresser will humble it a little bit. Maybe some of you know what it's like to be humbled by God. Sometimes the vine dresser will need to do some thinning. I'm praying this year that God does some thinning on me. We're getting there. Meaning he'll clear out some other things that are in the way so that the sunlight can get into where it needs to be so that it can bear fruit. He'll pull things out. He'll separate. He'll cut away. Maybe you know what it means to have God thin some things in your life. Take some things away. But in all of that, that it will bear fruit. Bear fruit. We read the psalm in the beginning of um, the service, unless the Lord builds the house, then you build in vain. 
You hear that dialogue. It's the reason I picked that psalm. Unless the Lord watches over the city, you watch over it in vain. Partnership, dialogue. And so much of that happens through the context of pruning. Surely, God, could I have a vibrant, growing relationship with Jesus and it just not hurt? Please? I would like all the blessings of your grace and your presence and your love. And can you just make everything easy for me? You'll do that, right? I found this poem. I, I felt this way. So many, there it is. I got stuff all over the place. I felt this way. Listen to this. I asked the Lord that I might grow in faith and love and every grace. Might more of his salvation know and seek more earnestly his face. How many of you want that next year? Oh yeah, that'd be awesome. I want more love. I want more grace. Yeah, yeah. I hoped that in some favored hour at once, he'd answer my request. And by his love's constraining power, just subdue my sins and give me rest. Instead of this, he made me feel the hidden evils of my heart. And let the angry powers of hell assault my soul in every part. Yea, more with his own hand he seemed, intent to aggravate my woe. Crossed all the fair designs I had schemed, blasted my gourds, and he laid me low. Lord, what, why is this? I trembling cried. Wilt thou pursue thy worm to death? Tis in this way, the Lord replied, I answer the prayer for grace and faith. These inward trials I employ from self and pride to set thee free and break thy schemes of earthly joy that thou mayest seek Thy all in me. Yeah, pruning. Pruning. Dialogue. Dependency. How many times have the pain that we've experienced, the diagnosis that we heard, the call, the loss, has it not driven us to greater awareness of dependency and dialogue with him? Two disciples of John come up to Jesus. This is John chapter 3. And they say, hey, where are you staying? Where are you staying? And you know what Jesus said? He says, come and see. Man, if you're a type A person, I'm going to tick you off. Right? If you're a type A person, Jesus, I want to know when. I want to know where. I want to know how. I want clarity. I want the plan. Jesus, where are we staying? Jesus, what are we doing? What's the plan? Lucas used to do this all the time when he was really young. He stopped doing it. He says, where are we going? When are we going to get there? How long is it going to take? What's the plan? You know what we would say? You'll see. You'll see. That's what he says to his disciples. Hey, where are you staying? You know what he said? Come and see. The invitation to relationship, the invitation to dialogue and conversation, the, to experience him, that's what he wants for you. He says, to survive the darkness of the hour that lies ahead. Stay close to me. Walk with me. 
I don't, but Paula, I didn't, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I don't have what you have. Paul, you don't, Paul, you have no idea what I've done in 2023. Paul, you don't know how I failed. Paul, you don't know how I flopped. If she finds out, she'll leave me. If he finds out, he'll never talk to me again. I don't, I don't think I can have what you're talking about. My favorite word in this verse is right in the middle. Whoever abides in me. Whoever. Whoever abides, whoever leans into that relationship, whoever talks, whoever comes, whoever receives, that life will bear much fruit. So I might have failed in 23. I might have flopped in 23. I might have, I might have fallen down. Jesus says, oh, with me, we will bear much fruit. We will bear much fruit. Thank you for sharing your time with us, and we'd love for the journey to continue. If you're a guest, would you consider reaching out to us? We would love to come alongside and encourage you in any way that we can. If you're someone who's joined us today and you are desperately reaching to find hope wherever you can, again, Jesus came that we would find hope. You can find hope today. If you want to send us a short note, a member of our hope team would reach out quickly, promptly, to come alongside and see what we can do to encourage you in whatever storm you might find yourself in. That's why Jesus came, and that's why we're here. Jesus said there's two ways to live your life, and a wise man, a wise woman, builds their life on Jesus' instructions. God bless.